1: for the Lord this Roger coming to you on Monday the 10th of April. We've got actually quite a bit of cool stuff. Some different stuff too going on this week. And but first of all I wanted to talk about the Elder Scrolls of the Legends mainly because I heard about the fall of the brotherhood expansion, well not expansion but the next card set and very much like like Hex did as soon as it started letting people in for not so much the alpha, I don't believe they did it, but in the beta, they were they were already releasing next sets. Because any company that is making a, whether it's a regular old card game or a digital trading card game, understand that it's all about those cards and you need to get that next set out on a regular basis so that people don't abandon the game. And so when you're looking at a game like this, which is trying to incorporate various aspects of the elder scrolls as part of it's be it quest lines or, or things like that, you need to keep that flow going of, of daily quests of expansions of new cards to keep people invested in that world. Because let's be honest, as much as I really like this game, the, the, quote unquote air quoting here problem is that we're living in a time right now where there's a lot of freaking digital cards game which is awesome like i read about another one today that also involved tactics and different things and i was like this is just a wonderful time to be alive if you're me <laughs> and so Shasty,
2: the, i love fucking card games too
1: yes well I, let's do uh, on a sliding scale brother let's be honest <laughs>
2: You know, what? I'm at a solid six, six and a half, I think, compared to your 10.
1: So, as soon as I heard about this, being not just a fan of the Elder Scrolls series, but especially the, the, the Brotherhood stuff that we see is pretty much always, if not the strongest, at least part of the best parts of any Skyrim, or not Skyrim, I should say, Elder Scrolls games. So when I read about this then I started looking at, okay, well I need to get back into the game because I hadn't played as much of it since the beta. So I went back and I worked on the, the tutorial. And what I like about this game is that the tutorial is also in, in, in air quotes because it is basically teaching you how to play the game, much like any RPG or MMO or things like that. They kind of throw you in the, the, not the deep end, but the very shallow end and, with some water wings and slowly teach you to play the game. And this is no different because this game is not excessively different, but different enough from the norms. And it kind of borrows from some and makes up its own rules in some regards. We talked about that in the past. I'm not going to go too heavily into it, but again, there's a lot of things that are a little bit different in terms of the, the game mechanics, much like the lanes and things like that. Not the first to do it, but in to do it this well, I think, maybe the best. I, I really, really like how the game plays out as opposed to say a hex or a magic, the gathering, which requires a lot of planning ahead. It's it, 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 when you're playing hex or you're playing magic, the gathering, you feel very much like you're playing a modern style chess game where you are planning many play plays ahead so that you can, you can win the game. This is much more like Hearthstone in that it's far more reactionary. You have less cards, you have less opportunity for mixing them together in ways that result in the massive campaigns that you can get in both, again, Hex and, and, and Magic and things like that. That's not a bad thing. And, and again, there there's still complexity and there still it are a lot of intricate ways in which you can craft decks to take advantage of certain be it keywords or things like that. So there's a lot of really cool stuff that you can do with it. And that's why I think of it kind of a blend between that middle point between Hearthstone and Hex or Magic. And that's a sweet spot to be in as far as I'm concerned, especially when you then toss in these great campaigns. And so their campaigns are essentially which I'm 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 grouping that training session as essentially campaign there's over 20 matches that you got to do. You're following a story of a group of people that are, well, essentially it's just you, you start off, but then along the way you gather a, a team to work with your group. Very much again, like a, um, an RPG or an MMO where you're teaming up with people and whatnot. And then you're taking on this Lord who has this grandmaster plan to unleash madness on the world. And again, typical kind of (laughs) the elder scrolls madness. And it's really cool because again, if you're a fan of the IP, then when you're, when you're going to steal a boat, and there's an Argonian there that you got to fight, and then he joins your team, and then you got this person to work with their deck as well. These are, they're cool things. We, we, when I find out that I'm fighting Daedric, Daedric cultists, I'm a little excited. I know who those people are. I, I don't feel like they're my kin, much like Vince would, but I still understand who they are. And there's a lot of cool things like that throughout. Now, I played through the entirety of that, uh, training again, quote unquote, campaign thing which took me several days so i mean if you're sitting down and doing nothing but playing then you'll rip through it faster than i did obviously but even then i was playing pretty steadily over those days and and thoroughly loved it there were some challenges i had to tweak some decks You unlock some decks as you go along, standard kind of stuff for digital card games nowadays. There's all the options for in terms of how to buy new cards or buy different things and whatnot, using real money as well as in-game gold. And that's one of the good things about this too, that, that Fall of the Brotherhood, I know I've bitched about this, but I'm going to keep fucking bitching about this until the currency exchange changes. Because if you're in the U.S. and you want to buy it, it's 20 bucks. Not that big a deal. And it offers like 25 new chapters, so you're getting a ton of games to play. You're getting 40 exclusive cards. Plus, if you actually play The Elder Scrolls Online, you're getting a mount as well, a wolf mount, which is kind of cool. But if you don't want to spend the real money because, say, if you're Canadian, the exchange rate puts that motherfucker at twenty eight bucks, which is a little pricey for an expansion for a card game for me. But you can buy the three acts separately uh, at a thousand. Well, I, the first one is a thousand. I don't know about the second and third if they raise in price or if it's the same thing. So I'll probably wind up doing that. But again, it's as I, I, I do play them those the expansions, I'll talk about them later on because I do like. I like the questing in them. Again, it's nothing spectacular in terms of choices that you have. But I do like that when you do make choices, it actually determines then what card you get as a reward. So if you save this person, you might get them as a person, uh, an NPC card that you can use. Or if you don't, you'll get a say, maybe a spell that you can use instead. And there was one where (laughs) it was like a main character. And it was, do you save this person or do you let them be killed? And I really wanted to keep this person because they were important up until that point. But then you look at the card that you get <laughs> if you sacrifice, and it, it was like, e-. sorry, buddy. <laughs> and that's
2: when Roger turned into Come to that's, the dark yeah, side. That's, yeah.
1: So, but anyways, there's a lot of cool things about it. So if you haven't checked it out yet, I would suggest you check it out. It's free to play. You get a bunch of cards just for going through the um, training sessions, essentially, like a lot of decks, you get a whole bunch of the booster packs, things like that, and you get to play with gameplay mechanics that are intertwined quite nicely with classes that you can choose in races, because that's another thing that's cool about this one. Like, if you choose a Dark Elf, you'll more quickly collect cards that harness the power of the Fallen. There's High Elf, Imperial, Khajiit. Uh, if, you, if you're a Khajiit, you'll collect cards more quickly, rewarding you for what they call nimbly attacking your opponent, which basically basically attacking motherfuckers as soon as they touch down. And there's Nord, Orc, Redguard, Wood Elf, uh, Argonian and Breton. All things that are from the Elder Scrolls games. So very cool. Some fun things as well. Nice little nods to the IP as well. Like when you go, there's a bar brawl, one of them and you walk in and there's bottles that are flung every turn that deal damage and different things like that. And it's kind of, it's an interesting little mechanic tossed in. and, And I like that one of the companions that you have that's traveling with you is Nord. So when somebody asks him, like, what is going on? Why are they fighting? What's going on? And he's like, they're Norn. This is what we do for fun. So you have a whole bunch of different things that really sinks you into not just the game,
2: but again, that world, the IP. And I, I, I seriously dig that. You had me. I'm going to give this a try now simply because you had me at the description of that sweet spot between Hex yeah. and Hearthstone because sometimes Hearthstone's too light. Sometimes Hex is too heavy this the the way that you described it actually makes me want to pick this up yeah i like that
1: yeah it is a lot of fun i got to the point where i mean it's obviously if you've been listening to the podcast you know i play quite a few card games i like card games but i'm not any i'm not gonna pretend i'm a pro i'm not gonna pretend any of the bullshit pro would have their the field they playing against me but i still i'm not a fool And so when I play these games, I tend to wait before I start dicking around with decks too much just to see what are they giving you? How are they helping you learn how to build your decks, learn about the keywords? Because while there are variants of those keywords, such as guard, protect, things like that, um, what happens is that you need to learn what they mean in this game, how it works and different things like that, and then from there, what are you going to be rewarded with as that carrot on the stick to keep you coming back? And I used until later on just the decks they were providing, and hell, I beat the 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 final boss that you have to take on for the the the, the training, which again took me several days. It takes a while, and it was a tough tough fight. I failed over and over again with every deck i tried finally i had just unlocked by leveling a deck and i thought well fuck i'll give this a shot boom first try took him down and it was like
0: oh.
1: so they're they're giving you the tools that you need to do it well and then once you're comfortable with that then you can go in and start tweaking your decks as well so it's it's not it's not trying to be pretentious and say, you're going to need a ton of skill, you're going to need to make your decks perfect, and things, no, it's, have fun. Here, here are some cards, play, have fun. Then, when you're serious, yeah, you can play against other people, really fine-tune your deck, and things like that. But if you also prefer more overpowered kind of fun with the quest lines and things like that, hey, here's another expansion set. So, I, again, it's hitting a really, really good spot for me right now, which, again, it's not going to be... Uh, again, top hex for me, but right now, as of like right now, it's actually second. This is actually more fun for me to play than Faria right now. And it's just, it's a well-crafted game. And also, let's be honest, it is drop-dead gorgeous. You're playing on a, an unfurled scroll. There's lit candles on either side. There's stacked old tomes with notes. It's just Beautiful, And so are the cards. The cards are spectacular. So, again, if you're a fan of this IP, it's free. Fucking give it a shot. So let's move on from there. There was some more news about Mass Effect Andromeda. Vince, how are you doing on that? You're playing that right now, aren't you?
0: Well, not right now. I put it on hold because Persona came out. I thought you were going to play Persona once you were done, Mass Effect Andromeda. Uh, That was the original plan, but, (laughs) you know. Things changed. Okay. I, I look at it as I've been excited for Mass Effect Andromeda for, you know, a few months. I've been excited for Persona 5 for years at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But I, I, um, I've i done the first two planets. And I'm on the third now. And the third, like, is honestly, like, largely optional because you get a choice if you do want to go here or there. And I went to the first one, and then I had some like uh, companion quests that brought me to the second planet. And I was like, "Man, this planet's actually kind of cool. I'm going to do some of the quests here." So, eh, not very far into the game at all, but enough. Like, I'm level 21. Like, I'm getting a good handle on things. Like, I'm actually, I was actually really enjoying it.
1: I my my we picked it up for for our son for his birthday just recently, and he's the one that had wanted it. We talked about a bunch of different games he could get, and. That was the one that he was uh, he was sat on. I was going to wait for myself. But again, this the advantage here is – and it's not why I bought it <laughs> for him. <laughs> but when he's not at home or not playing it, I can give it a shot. So I installed it on my system as well.
0: I What I realized is absolutely hilarious though. I'm taking no advantage of like the new uh, like skill switching system and all that because I'm just playing my infiltrator. So I just sit back and snipe everything. <laughs> yeah, well – there's nothing wrong with that. You said like, like it's I, a bad I ha- thing. I have one loadout for shield enemies, one loadout for armored enemies. That's about all I got. It just, I just go from one infiltrator skill to a different
1: one. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go back to my story. It wasn't done, motherfucker.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> that was out of the left
1: field, too. <laughs> I, listen. Okay, anyways, my point was I, I installed it and I tried to play it uh, for a few hours, but it kept crashing on me. And so I was literally losing a lot of time doing different things, and I did notice too how it, 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 I don't know what it's like now that they put the new patches in with the new phases, mm-hmm. but it is actually really distracting. Like I, initially, when people were saying it's distracting, I was going, "Come on, give me a break, just play." It, it's but, not horrible, but no, it's bad enough. But it, it's it really takes you out. I was surprised mm-hmm. at just how much you're doing these these the cinematics and you're like what the hell is happening with those eyes <laughs> <laughs> those dead soulless eyes and but they are patching that i find it very funny that people who pirated the games won't get that <laughs> because, <laughs> because of them. come that's as well yeah <laughs> you're stuck with wonky <laughs> eyes <laughs> so anyways so you are having fun with it though
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, I, I was really enjoying it. The The characters were interesting, it was fun. The gameplay is the best the series has ever seen. The story, like, it, it actually reminds me a lot of the original Mass Effect in that, like, it's more exploration-heavy, and it's more about, like, you know, discovering what the story is. Like, the first Mass Effect, like, you were two-thirds of the way into the game before like everything finally came together and it became what we now know as Mass Effect so I'm still in those early stages where I'm like feeling out and like getting a grip on what's going on here and you know why am I involved like one of the things I actually really like is how different the writers are from Shepard and uh, actually they're two completely unique characters as well like uh Sarah Ryder is a little more like uh outgoing and i want to say like maybe even immature whereas scott if you're playing as him is is a little more stoic because of their different backgrounds and all that and like i like that a lot of people don't like it but i actually enjoy that you know they're largely inexperienced and kind of naive and they're growing into like, you're molding their characters with your choices. Like, Shepard was basically always just a badass from the original, yeah, like, inception yeah. in the game. So it's interesting to see the growth of these characters because they're very young. They're, you know, early 20s for, for both of them. Like, and I, I like that it's a different approach to Mass Effect. It's not just, okay, here's another Shepard. They're very unique in their own ways.
1: I like the relationship between whoever you choose in the father as well. Now that said i don't know how different it is for the daughter as opposed to the son but even just at the beginning there's there's the potential for some tension kind of thing between mm-hmm. the two of them and i'm i'm looking forward to seeing that relationship in so much as i don't know how long it's going to last but that's one of the relationships i'm actually looking forward to
0: there's a lot of dialogue options that'll basically let you choose what kind of relationship yeah. you have with your dad. Like, with like oh, you know, you know, what would your dad, this and that, or where you're like, well, we were never close, or like, oh, he'd be really proud. And, you know, like, it's so, like, it allows you to forge your own narrative, which I which I enjoy. Yeah. You're not immediately thrust into, nope, this
2: is your character,
0: this is who you are.
2: I like it. Deal with it, yeah. Okay. It it sounds like it's closer to the original design idea of Shepard, right? Because whenever we were talking mm-hmm. about the old Mass Effect games, one of the things I always talked is they wanted about they wanted the players to imprint upon Shepard. And it seems like you, like you said, Shepard was always a badass, so it was hard to do that. And here you are getting input from basically the formative years of this character's life onward. So I, I kind of dig that. That's actually really intriguing to me. Actually that's yeah. a really good point.
0: Yeah. I mean that said, though, the game is not without its flaws. And that's kind of what we were getting to with their first big patch not
2: came counting out last googly week. eyes,
0: yeah. well, googly eyes are definitely a part of it. but uh, the the uh, the bullet points here, like there there's full patch notes with a lot of like minor stuff, you know, balance tweaks and this and that. The one that I was most excited for allow you to skip ahead when traveling between planets in the galaxy map because BioWare still can't make exploring a solar system not the worst part of the game. Like, no, you're not endlessly probing planets and scanning for minerals, but, you know, you do want to check out every planet because sometimes you'll find, you know, minerals or research stuff or even just get, you know, flat XP for finding something cool. But the actual animation of flying from planet to planet means it takes literally five to ten minutes to explore one solar system. It's insufferable. (laughs) So that's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Increasing inventory limits, I mean, hasn't been an issue for me, but I know a lot of people are not as good at inventory management as I am, so that's going to be appreciated for a number of people. Improving the appearance of eyes for humans and Asari characters is something we were talking about. Uh, I've seen screenshots, and in stills it looks a lot better, and I would imagine it looks even better when it's actually in motion. Although, it's still not going to fix the general lack of emotive expressions on some of the characters' faces. Like, there's this one woman you run into, I swear she looks like she just had Botox treatment. (laughs) The only parts of her face that move are her lips and her (laughs) eyes. Like, nothing around them, none none of her facial structure moves at all. Jesus, since and freaking Fallout 4 have more emotion Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then a lot of just, like, improving and touching up on animation stuff, which they've actually said they're going to continue working on. Said uh, over the next two months, a lot more improvements of animations are going to be done, uh, improving variety of character creation because it is pretty lacking. Like, yeah, you can do, like, molding, facial structure and all that, but there's, you know, there's, like, 12 hairstyles. So there's a lot of stuff that... It is definitely not up to par with uh, 2017 gaming uh, improvements to hair and general appearance for characters because, yeah, the hair does get kind of funky. But what was this? Bioware's never had a game with good hair. So I'm kind of writing that one off. <laughs> Uh, yeah, ongoing I'm improvements to animations, improvements to rail ma- male romance options for Scott Ryder. This is actually a really important one because you know it's a Bioware game. There are multitudes of different romantic uh, options you have available to you, but the male writer. Only has two options for male romance partners, which is significantly less than any other gender combination you can do in the game. So that's something fans have spoke out against. And I guess Bioware is going to work on adding something into that as well as adjustments to conversations with Hanley Abrams. This was a huge, yeah, I read about this one. fuck up on their part. And yeah, it was and that you run into this. I mean, she's honestly like a minor NPC. But you run into her and she is a transgender woman. And in her initial conversation with Ryder, just like spills everything, tells you like her old name back when she was on Earth.
2: Well, hold on a second. Specifically her dead name. And that's like using that terminology is important here because that's a sacred thing for for anybody who's going through that transition like shedding the dead name is a big thing for, and that's why they were for anybody who doesn't know. That's, that's one of the reasons, not just the, the initial openness, but that's one of the reasons why the community um, just sort of rose up so quickly. And, and and I have a couple friends who are really big in the mass effect and are transgendered and the first words out of their mouth were, Oh fuck. No. And it was, it was incredibly shocking to them. it,
0: It was a huge, huge, Error on BioWare's part, a company that's typically pretty good about LGBT issues. And like, I don't know what happened here, but it was a it was a major fuck up. But they're going to work on it. So eh, you, you can't give them a pass, but at least they 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 accepted and admitted they fucked it up. Was that it? Yeah, that's that's the, that's the there's obviously like lots more there, you know, in details. But those those are the main points that they're they're focusing on right now. All right. Well, you were talking about Persona 5. How have you been liking it then? Uh, with my work schedule, I've actually barely touched it. Like, oh, yeah? I'm just at the point now where I'm starting to play the first dungeon. So, like, you know, two, maybe three hours into the actual game. And, like, it's I, – I love it. I adore it. the, the – The game is, like we said, stylish as hell. Like I just love, like just looking at stuff and like the 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 characters so far have been quite interesting. Like, although, man, right off the bat, this game's fucking dark. Like, some of this shit, like, the the first, uh, I'm not going to spoil too much, but, like, the first uh, bad guy quotes that you're running into is, like, the high school gym coach who is, like, an Olympian. (laughs) So, like, he brings a lot of prestige to the school, and he just uses it to be, like, the absolute worst human being, like, beating his players, like, it's... So like it does a great job of going, I really want to take this guy down. <laughs> so, and a lot of that goes into, uh, some people have pointed out that the actual writing is, I don't want to say bad, but like the localization effort didn't get like the full amount of time it probably needed for the size of the game and the amount of time they they uh, had to get it out. It just wasn't quite enough. Like some of the, some of the actual writing is a little awkward, but... It's made up for by the voice acting being absolutely superb. Like, I'm immediately into every character. They're all acted amazingly well, except Igor. I don't like the new Igor voice. It just really puts me off. But that's, you know, that's me. English voice (laughs) acting, or are you doing the Japanese with subtitles? I'm using the English voice acting. Is there an option to do the Japanese one with subtitles? Uh, yeah, when they announced that the game was delayed, part of making up for that is uh, you can download the Japanese voice track, cool, for free, awesome, if if you wish. But I decided to play it in English. Like it's it's a long game. <laughs> I'm happy just listening to it instead of reading it for a hundred hours. <laughs> but it 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 does so many little things well. Like one thing that blew me away. And like people have complained about it, but I have to believe it was a purposeful decision. Is like I said, you you play a, a kid from a smaller town, and you're in Tokyo. So one of the opening bits of the game is you step off the subway, and tells you, "Yeah, go here." Doesn't tell you how to get there, or <laughs> so you're wandering through the subway station, like squinting and trying to read the signs, trying to find the sign to point you like where you need to go. So from a gameplay aspect, yeah, it's a little annoying, but from an immersion aspect of getting you into the mindset of a character that's in a big city for the first time, I found it to be amazingly like well executed. So, like, it's all these little details that have me like really into the game and I I cannot wait for actually having a day off to be able to play it.
2: Yeah, like a bunch of my guildies are playing it and and it's all they talk about now like when they're not Playing WoW or doing whatever, like for raid night, they're playing Persona, and that's all they chat about. It's it's intrigued me. Not enough to pick it up, but like it's got it definitely has an impact on the people who play it. Mm-hmm. I'm a little ticked
1: off at this bullshit about the no streaming thing, and the, yeah, you know, that's that yeah. actually is really Japan
0: still doesn't know how wow. let's plays and streaming are work at the in the West, and I love that Atlas's uh, press release basically said. It's not our fault. This is from the home office in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we've seen this time and time again with Nintendo and now Atlas. Like, Japanese companies just don't get how big of a deal Let's Plays and streaming is in the West. Yeah. So,
1: moving on from there, there we're getting another Digimon, Cyber Sleuth. You hear that, Sushi? Cyber Sleuth 2, it's going to be a Hacker's Memory. The, the Great Devil Returns. Yes. <laughs> I'm still playing it, actually. Not nearly enough, but that's only because... I'm old and I forget that I actually have a game going for it. That's just the way it is. Does that really
0: like, go into the living room, sit down, and
1: sit there and stare at the wall for like no, 20 No, I'm not go, at that I was point. to do something. <laughs> I, that is
0: coming. I know
1: for a fact. But uh, but no, I am still playing it. I, I kind of put it on hold for a little bit for Batman, but I'm uh, like, fuck this Batman shit. So I started back again on Cyber Sleuth. And so this is actually really cool I, and because they did a lot of things right in CyberSleuth that I really enjoy. And I like the mechanics. I like the way that they're doing it. And I like that blend, that that nice blend of the adventuring outside as well as in the digital world and different things like that. So, yeah. And I like the combat. So one would presume they're going to be improving upon that for the sequel. There's not a whole bunch of news, of course. It's pretty similar theme of a teen hacker and and, and whatnot that's going between worlds. So it's going to be pretty similar, but it'll be interesting to see whether or not, because they're saying it might be kind of in the same time frame as the other one. So it'll be cool if there's little ties to it and whatnot.
0: So, again, we don't know a ton, but I know that it made at least a couple of us very happy to hear this. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's actually interesting though, because, you know, Cyber Sleuth was a very different style of game for the franchise. I'd be interested to see like what the feedback was comparing Cyber Sleuth to, what was it, Digimon World, the one that came out recently? Yeah. And then realizing that, you know, maybe there is an audience for these more side story type games that aren't, you know, proper Digimon games. And, you know, for a series that I've never cared about, like, it's still around for a reason. So I... I, good for them i
1: wasn't much into the the franchise before this one
0: i i never played a
1: digimon right. game the kids played some and but, but they gave the you
0: a a different type of game exactly set, you know in the digimon ip that was able to grab your interest which, exactly i mean it, it's the world of final fantasy for yep. the digimon yeah, universe
1: exactly so yeah no it was, it's it's I wish that we got more of that with, say, Pokemon as well, instead of always the same kind of Pokemon. Then yeah, there's minor twists yeah, and whatnot. Pokemon but Snap. We will need all.
0: <sighs> Moving on. Great Detective Pikachu.
1: Joe, you want to talk about Overwatch?
2: <laughs> sure, just to just to help you out there, Raj. So Overwatch, we've been getting some new information. First, there was the we talked about it last week. There was that that little spoiler on the Facebook page about. The historic date and, and the uprising in King's Row. Well, it is actually tied to what has now been a leaked event uh, thanks to a French PlayStation YouTube channel. Uh, thanks, guys. So apparently French people on, rule. <laughs> I'm sorry. French people rule. Shut up. <laughs> I, I do. I'm honestly thanking them. Listen, it's, it's tomorrow in France. Mm-hmm. It is, it is, it is. Uh, so you know, nothing wrong, the, and if they did, they Tuesday don't care. On Tuesday the 11th, <laughs> and running through May 1st, we're getting another event, a four-player PvE fight, very similar to the Halloween Terror event, Junkenstein's Revenge. It's actually a really cool concept. It's going to center around Reinhardt, Tracer, Torbjorn, and Mercy in the early days of Overwatch. In this case, Tracer is a cadet going on her first mission. Torbjorn is the grizzle vet that... Makes the off-handed comment of "Oh, look, the Calvary's here." When Cadet Tracer shows up, and that that's where a she gets little her head in
0: your face.
2: I thought that was hilarious. Actually, <laughs> it was. Can I
0: can I just point out that
2: French Torbjorn sounds really weird? <laughs> a little bit, just a little bit, but it's a cool little thing, and it's and it revolves around what we got in a little comic that they released, another action comic where. There's an uprising in King's Row between Nullsec and the humans. Nullsec is a group of Omnic's who basically want to fuck shit up and call it a day because that's what they that's what they want to do. They want equal rights and they want they want to be show that they're big and bad or whatever it is that the motivation is. And at this point, England has said no to Overwatch intervening. So Jack Morrison is sitting there going well, shit, what am I going to do? And there's a conversation going on in the comic between him and Tracer. Tracer wants to go in. She's, you know, this is what I signed up for. This is what I want to do. I want to go in there and save people. There are so many innocent lives at stake. Can we really afford to stay out of it? And Morrison sits there and he thinks about it. And then eventually he calls in the four of them to go take care of it. And that's what this event is all about. This is all about them going in, taking care of this Omnic insurgency in King's Row. And that's really cool because this is an important event in the Overwatch mythos because Overwatch is a direct order from one of the governments involved in basically their actions, right? They answer to the governments of the world. They're, they're supposed to at least work with them. And here they are overtly saying, no, you're going to get people killed. We have to do something. Sot off. We got this. And I think that's really, really cool. I, there's no more details about like what the event is going to be as far as like the minutiae of it. I'm sure we'll find out in the next 24 hours, but even if it's something just like Junkenstein's Revenge, where it's like waves of omnics and you have to work together and doing it sort of like a tower defense style thing, I'm all in because Junkenstein's Revenge was fucking awesome. Well, that's and the, the
1: other, f- the other, what I'm the impression that I'm getting is that it is going to be, Kind of like that, but a blend of Junkenstein with, uh, say, a King's Row. So that it is, a, you're moving along, but along the way you're getting various roadblocks, like the the mechanical turrets and different things that are dropping down or that are placed along the, the map. So it's essentially going to feel like a an escort, maybe, but with a lot more pve challenges along the way that's really what i got okay with a, yeah
2: oh I god yeah cool. yeah definitely and these are the type of events that i really really like like don't get me wrong the the capture the flag event was was fun but this is a narrative event and yeah. i like narrative events yeah. uh Junkin' signs was cool because of the the big grandiose uh voiceover act and the the acting that they put into it i can only imagine what this is going to to bring forward now not only are we getting new content in far in terms of that event we're also getting new skins. Uh, so far, we have McCree, Widowmaker uh, are, are going to have some new skins. McCree in his Blackwatch uniform. Widowmaker in her Blackwatch uniform before she was taken by Talon. So she's still human. You have a not-fully-robotic Genji in his Blackwatch uniform. Uh, there's apparently supposed to be another unlock for Bastion, which I believe is going to wind up being a Nullsec uniform, as well as Orisa, which... A lot of people are telling me they find her skin super creepy. I think it looks cool. I haven't seen Arissa's. If you do if you do a search for it, or I'll send you a link after well, the podcast. I'll, I'll, I'll see it tomorrow. It's it's really creepy, but it's really well done. And I think it's really cool. Uh, there's also new skins for Reinhardt, Torbjorn, Cadet Tracer with her little cadet hat and everything. And an amazing mercy skin. I think that might be the best one out of the lot with the blue wings and the white medic hat and her hair all done like that. I think it's it looks really clever. I'm okay with that. I'm not a fan of the blue and the blue ones. I got to tell you, it's, it's a little too simple.
0: Like, yeah. I mean, I get it that it, these are their uniforms Overwatch and it colors, means yeah. a lot. Yeah. But it's just from what we've seen and, you know, skin drops in the past, like they're cool, they're interesting, but they're not
2: mind blowing like any of the stuff we've seen before, which yeah. is although, fine.
1: Although the Genji one was really sharp. The Blackwatch sharp, and like the, the Genji
2: one yeah. and the Widowmaker one are pretty good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Those and the McCree, those actually look really good. Nothing like spectacular must have, but they look
2: damn good. Yeah. Oh, you know what I just noticed, too? The Bastion skin has a hacked icon behind him. (laughs) I just noticed (laughs) that. That's awesome. That is amazing. There's also interesting little tidbits, too, because, of course, there's going to be new sprays as well. And one of the new sprays is actually the wedding photo for Widowmaker. Really? Yeah. There's, There's more story here. So I'm wondering what's going to happen because... We've been speculating – Widowmaker has been the the source of a lot of speculation and this this is really kind of pushing that along, right? There's a thing that she might not actually still be brainwashed, that she might be – when we talked about this when we talked about some of the previous comics and some of the voice lines and things like that, that maybe she understands what happened to her and hell hath no fury like a woman scorned or a woman forced to kill her husband in cold blood. I'm hoping that becomes a thing because it's one of the cool storylines that, while it seems so cliche, could be flushed out so well that if she's just looking to bring down Talon from the inside out, I'd be all about that life. So little, little tidbits like all of a sudden the wedding photo comes out, kind of a big deal. Yeah, I think. Yeah, until she realizes her husband was actually the true villain all along. His name was
0: Vince. I'm sticking with this theory. I'm going down with the ship, as sorry as we're not safe around him, yeah,
2: yeah,
1: all right, let's move on from there. What else we got? We got these hellblade videos that have come out, and we've seen some of this in the past, but it's been a little while, but I mean the tech was I'll be honest, I forgot about this game amazing, I remember it because they did it live, so you got oh, yeah, to see and, the like, i, I since
0: then, I completely forgot. Well, we haven't heard
1: anything about it. So, yeah, no, these are freaking cool.
0: Yeah, we got the latest bits uh, from from Ninja Theory here uh, about Hellblade Senwa's sacrifice and just diving more into it. Uh, There were some videos you guys linked today, so feel free to fill in because I was at work today. But we know that the point of the game is that Senwa is a Celtic warrior on a vision quest into the Viking heartland. But Senwa herself is damaged. She carries psychosis and mental illness with her. And this definitely affects everything about her. So the the visions that she's seeing on this quest are in part affected by her mental state. In that they say the game takes place entirely in a real world. But to us as players, it seems like fantasy because we're seeing, we're perceiving everything through Senwa's eyes and her fractured view of reality, which is fascinating to me that they're taking these big risks in in just the way they're approaching the entire concept of a video game in a lot of ways and our, our ways of interacting with the world. Like it's, it, it, it's really quite cool. And they're going on to say that it's not going to be a collection of gameplay segments. It's it's going to be a complete narrative experience and you know what? If if this is the time for combat, there's going to be combat. But there's going to be massive stretches of the game where you're not going to be fighting anything. You're going to be exploring. You're going to be solving puzzles. And Even the puzzles, they said, are in a lot of ways groundbreaking because all, all the visual clues are based around her perception and the way her brain is piecing together these patterns it see you say visual
2: roger and i were i was chatting at roger mm-hmm. a little bit about this earlier there is something a little more to me interesting than the visual aspect of this. oh yeah it's the sound oh yeah they, The fact that they developed this game primarily with a 3D soundscape in mind and one of the interesting things that I saw in one of the videos when they were talking about the development of the game is that they wanted you to be able to navigate a complete dungeon in pitch black with nothing but sound Mm -hmm. and if they could do that they know that they succeeded they did succeed. Apparently in their playtesting, they were able to have a complete pitch black dungeon with like your visibility super, super limited to like maybe like a, a foot in front of you. And players were able to navigate through it with this amazing experience. Um, but they had to lighten it up just a little bit to make sure people weren't freaked out. But that is amazing because to me, the audio in a game is as important or more important than the visuals themselves because they tell a completely different story you can see one thing and hear another and you can have layers upon layers of story being mm-hmm. painted in front of you and it sounds like that's exactly what they did I saw that this will be a day one purchase for me as a result of that yeah
0: and I just keep coming back to to looking at all the risks that they are taking in like their creativity of doing things that like you said right there, things that have not been done in games or different approaches to to ways of doing things. And I, what I loved in this video was them talking about like, well, that's the way the game industry is. You have a hundred million dollar budget on a game. You, you know, you're going to try and sell these things for $60 a piece. You need to appeal to as many people as possible. So you make your game for that lowest common denominator. It's like, we don't want to do that. We're going to make a smaller game. So, you know, it's probably only going to be maybe five, six hours, but an amazing five, six hour experience, I'll take over 20 hours of average. But at the same time, they're going to keep the team small. They're going to keep the budget down. They're going to sell it for a not a $60 price point is what I got from what he was saying. Yeah, they were very clear about that. So that they can make this small game, get more people interested in trying it at a lower price point and be able to not have to make those sacrifices as developers of trying something too original because it might not appeal to people. This is I am a hundred percent behind this game as a game as well as what they're doing development wise. Like I I was absolutely blown away from everything I saw here.
1: Again, this is one of those games that we have seen a couple of times, not very often, but the last time when they had that actress doing the the, mm-hmm. the, the work live, it's mind-blowing. And then when you see oh, yeah. this, I really, really like the, the manner in which they're handling this notion of a mental illness or of the things not being reliable and different things like that. I like that inner dialogue that she's having. I like, I like the actress, whoever's doing it is doing a really interesting job. Like everything that I'm seeing about this really makes me curious. And that's what you want with the game. Okay. Let's move on from there. Just some other, just a few titles here that were, were brought up
2: to, to talk about this week. Joe, you wanted to talk about no more heroes. It's not No More Heroes. It's Has Been Heroes. Oh, my No mistake. More Heroes sorry. is the awesome Suda 51 yes. game
0: from the Wii. Yeah,
2: <laughs> sorry. So ha- Has Been Heroes is an interesting game. It was one of the release titles, actually, for the Switch. It's also available on Steam and just in general for the PC. It's like a lighter version of Darkest Dungeon. It is a roguelike game in which you take a party of deceased heroes who kind of fucked up in their escort quest of the princesses and the princesses are dead too, by the way. And you have to make your way through to try to escape sort of your fate. The interesting thing about this is you unlock all, there's three different types of character classes. There's like the warriors, there's bards, and then there is the rogues. And then the princesses just kind of sit as support in the back. But what's cool about it is you unlock different versions of those characters as you complete the games or as you complete different playthroughs and you have complete choice of where you go. It's interesting to me because the main mechanic of it is this weird lane based turn based combat where the main thing in combat is to switch the lanes of the heroes that they're in in order to chain combos for what you're attacking as you go forward. And it's a really cool concept and it is strangely addicting. Um, It's I mean, it's a cheap game. It's only 20 bucks, but it it was made for, I would say, almost like certainly for touch screens. It's it's phenomenal. I I, the art style is whimsical. The gameplay is addicting. It it seems deceptively simple at first. And what I'm seeing is a lot of critics are giving it kind of half of a glance saying, oh, it's just another roguelike and then moving on. But players who are actually playing it are, are really getting into it. It's really cool. Hmm. I have enjoyed hmm. it, so. And it's only 20 bucks. So, I mean, it's, it's a good price point for a roguelike game that has a lot of replayability. An average run is supposed to take
0: you a couple hours. Now I suddenly want to see a follow-up to Darkest Dungeon where it has been heroes with your washed-out, insane Darkest Dungeon characters.
2: <laughs> Ooh, that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right.
0: <laughs> Vince Cosmic Star Heroine. Yes, this is a game I I had heard of, you know, but completely forgotten about. Uh it was kickstarted back in 2013 <laughs> and it finally comes out tomorrow. So uh, I guess the development took slightly longer than anticipated, but I'd completely forgotten about it until it popped up on a website somewhere. And based on title alone, I'm sure this is going to exist somewhere in our household. So it comes out tomorrow on PS4 and Steam. Uh, Supposedly there's also going to be a Vita version, but uh, no word on when or if that's actually going to happen. But it's from Zeboid Games, which were the creators of Cthulhu Saves the World, which if anybody didn't play that, play it. It's literally two bucks.
2: Shame on you. (laughs) You Go play it right now. That's not on sale.
0: It's a $2 game. I think during the steam sale, it goes down to like 60 cents, (laughs) but Cthulhu saves the world is an absurd RPG game, but it's actually a great RPG. It's a lot of fun. It's definitely comical but where you play, you know, Cthulhu when he tries to save the world, as advertised. But it's definitely an homage to the old 8-bit RPGs, like the original Final Fantasies and Dragon Quest games. So what they've done here with Cosmic Star Heroine is this is now their version of the 16-bit RPGs. It draws very heavily from games like Phantasy Star and especially Chrono Trigger. With you know, you, This is very Chrono Trigger inspired, inspired from a gameplay standpoint. And I don't know too much about the actual story. You play a secret agent on a sci-fi alien world, and you have to go rogue in order to find out what's actually going on. Along the way, you meet a colorful cast of characters and, you know, the story unfolds. Like this little trailer that they had, the music is fantastic. (laughs) The art style is definitely reminiscent of the era. So, you know, it is what it is, but I, I really enjoy that, you know, they, They had this aesthetic and they just went for it 100%. It's cheesy 80s, like sci-fi, cyberpunk style, which I think at this point is maybe starting to get a little overdone. But the way they execute it here is just with such love for the games of the past that
2: I can't help but be endeared by it. Cool. Jeez. Okay. Joe, you wanted to talk about uh, Amnesia Fortnite Game Jam. So, yeah, this is a really interesting thing to me because of what I do for a living. So apparently Double Fine takes a two-week break from the regular jobs and has a hackathon game jam session where they just come up with games. And this year, we got to vote on the ones that we, we thought were sort of cool and, and should win. And so they finally announced the four that were winners. And it was Kiln, which is a, a combat-style game where, well, you, you build pot people. And I don't mean like, you know, they're high, I mean that they're literally pots that come to life and do battle, and you shape them on this magic wheel, this magic pottery wheel, and send them into combat. That's a cool concept in and of itself, and the fact that you can customize your forces as they go out. Uh, The other one is gods must be hungry, which is giant gods want to eat humanity, so chefs compete on a Japanese game show in order to (laughs) fill a stadium with their creation, which is equal parts fighting other players to get the best ingredients than to a cooking mini game that you have to appease the god so it doesn't eat humanity. So first it's it the greatest so, game ever made. So f- first they came up with a pot game
1: and then they came up with a food game. Food game. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is what napping?
2: <laughs> kind of. It's called it's called Darwin's Dinner. Inappropriate stripping. What? <laughs> <laughs> So the the next game is Darwin's Dinner, which is actually an interesting concept because it's a survival game, but what you choose to eat affects the world around you for generations worth of oh they were animals. so high come on seriously well, totally well it's a two week <laughs> come <laughs> on <laughs> they they probably didn't sleep bathe eat like they, they're probably drunk and high which is I'm thankful for because these <laughs> games seem like they're going to be absolutely hysterical, but if you're out in the wild and you're catching the slow bunnies, that means you haven't caught the fast bunnies, which means future generations of rabbits are going to continue to be fast and you keep making choices like that, you might actually work yourself out of a dinner. So you have to be smart about what you choose to eat and not eat as far as animals go to try to control and maintain the balance. That's an interesting concept for a survival game, if you ask me. That's brilliant. And then then the last one is a VR game just for Roger. And it's called, I have no idea what I'm doing. And it's... (laughs) It's literally one person in a VR mask trying to figure out who they are and what they're doing while the people around them shout clues at him or her. <laughs> it is it is that game where you like stick the card in your forehead and you try to ask those millions of questions <laughs> except in VR. And it's it's going to be hysterical. It just looks like a load of fun. They even put googly eyes on the VR helmet when they were playing with it. It was it was kind of cool. Those so games this are like, actually a lot of fun because they it's, are.
1: It's. It's not going to be the type of game that you are playing a lot, but it's the same thing that we saw with the Wii, the the, the initial Wii, where those are the the games that you play with people when they come over. And, like, with ours, that uh, stick where everybody blows up, or whatever the hell it's called. That's the keep one. In, keep get, yeah, keep coming, and uh, nobody blows Whatever yeah. it's called. Um, if you haven't played it, get the fucking game, because... I, I can't speak to the regular version, but the VR version oh, is riot. so much fun. You would think this is going to be boring uh, because the person looking at the TV is literally reading schematics or things like that. And you're thinking this is not going to be invariably, inevitably, every time we play with somebody when they're trying out the, the VR unit, it's a blast.
2: Those types of games are fun. And they even said that this is what it's modeled after too, like the Wario uh, where games, yeah, yeah. the the small party games. And each round is only a few seconds long, and there are multiple rounds, so it's it's not like you're going to be playing these large, exhaustive games. And that's kind of cool. I like the return of party games. I mean, Jack Jackbox has been making a return. There's been a, lo- a bunch of those old trivia games. Uh, there's a new one now that actually integrates with your smartphone, where you loaded up the main thing on on steam or your tv or your your console and it runs you through like you join the room and you pick you fill in the blanks basically or write a caption or do something like that and everybody votes on it but it's a party game based around the idea that everybody has smartphones i like this idea that social gaming is coming back and i'm on board for something like this with vr but this is the type of thing i like from game jams and hackathons because the weird shit gets pitched that nobody else would have done unless they were given that time to do so. And it makes me incredibly happy. I'm really cool. This is cool. I wish more companies did this. I think that they do. They just don't advertise it as
1: much. And if they don't, I'd be surprised because this is where creativity sparks from.
0: So. Well, you have to be a company that's just big enough to have, you know, enough staff and be able to take a couple of weeks off, but still small enough to not be completely caught up in, you know, corporate video game culture. Yeah. And Double Fine is one of the few companies that fits into that little zone. Yeah. All
1: right. And in closing, actually, and I just f- spotted it today because we've talked to, we've had a number of guests on who like visual novels a lot. And we actually like them as well when they're well done. It's sometimes a little hard to find one that's not as lazy. Not that that's a problem. Sushi. But there was another one that's on Kickstarter right now that I'm seriously thinking of picking up as well. It's uh, Fatal 12, The Thrilling Mystery. And it's the second one from, oh fuck, IUO I, I, Company. It's all fucking vowels. You can't blame me for this one, okay, Vince? <laughs> <laughs> but they had another game called Sound Drop which is available on steam right now. And I'm considering picking it up so I can give it a shot and see if I do like it or not. And if I like it, then I can, there's still seven days to go in this other one, but the video for it actually looks interesting. And it's not just, you know, panty shots and bullshit like that. It actually sounds like an interesting concept where this girl dies, saving a friend. And then is part of a kind of a, 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 Not a game, but a contest, a competition to see who can remain alive and. In order to do so, you have to interact a lot with the other people and find out their regrets in life and and things like that. It sounds like a a very, well, very dark story, certainly, but a very impactful one as well. And I thought, well, that sounds cool. So if you're interested in visual novels and if you think you'd like something a little bit different, uh, check it out. It's called Fatal 12 and it's on Kickstarter right now for another seven days. It's definitely backed already. They've already passed passed their goal. So this is definitely going to get done and you can get the game. I think the lowest bid where you can get the game is... Uh, how much? Fifteen bucks, I think. Yeah, fifteen bucks. And then from there on, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Plus, there's a lot of cutesy characters, so people like Allie and <laughs> Sushi will like that as well. Not... What would you say the game was called again? Fatal 12. The okay. Thrilling Mystery. So, like I said, I'm going to give the other one a shot, sound drop, because it's only fifteen bucks. So, I'll likely talk about it on... If not the next episode, then the one after that, and then if I did like it, then I'll probably back this as well because again, for fifteen bucks, you're getting a presumably interesting, cool story, and the art is actually really quite nice. And with that, we are going to wrap it up. Thank you for joining us. You can find the show notes, of course, at forthelore.com. You can find us on Twitter at forthelore, or individually, Joe is Loaders at J Vincent Simodian, and I am Zen Buddhist. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. And with that, we will see you guys next week.
0: Thank you for listening to For The Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.